Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, Episode 25, Love Addiction Legacy, Part 1. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevan Lee helping you heal your family legacy. Welcome back to the show. Today I have a guest with me that will be sharing her experience on how she has been able to first identify uh, her family legacy and the trauma that went along with that, and then how she's been able to move through that into a place that, you know, maybe she never even thought she'd be. But um, it's a it's a really great story. It's an interesting story, and um, so uh, this is Jenny Lee, and she's a colleague of mine, and uh, actually works in the the Legacy Center. Um, and I refer a lot of people to her. So please pay attention, and you will get to discover how. She has been able to work through this. You may remember from many of my sessions that um, I don't ever ask anybody to do something that I have not done. And I think that Jenny's going to talk about that a little bit. So with that, I'll pass it off to you. Jenny, will you tell us your story? Yes. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, trying to think about where to start. So I guess uh, I will start with what is uh, called in the field, I guess, the presenting problem. Uh, I came to Dr. Donna several years ago now, and I was going through a divorce. And I was with this individual for 13 years, and we were married for almost five years of that. I came in in a very pained state. I had no self-esteem. I found out that he had 
been unfaithful and I don't know the extent of it. I was in denial for many years about that. And I found out, I feel like in retrospect, it, it always comes out in one way or another, whether or not that person wants it to in some way or the universe. I, I believe that it was the universe. I had telephoned him and he was actually talking to this other woman when I called and he was mid-sentence saying that he couldn't do this anymore and I was in a sleepy state it was late and he realized it was me and he said oh what are you doing up like I'm in the driveway I'll be right in and he told me a story <laughs> completely fabricated about what he was, you know, doing in the driveway and late that night. And I believed it. I think that, I mean, on some level, I knew that it was not true, but it's like I had to believe, I had to believe it because the alternative was not good. <laughs> it meant that I had chosen a person. <laughs> who would cheat on me. So. Jenny, <clears throat> Jenny, do you think, you know, based on what I've been talking about for the last several weeks, that you were more in a, what we call a wounded child state? Yes. And did you feel really young and hopeless? And so, you know, because what it sounds like that, what you described, right? Yes. And, and when you showed up, you were like almost in a curled up little fetal position. Yeah. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and when you're in that child state, do you feel like, you know, as a functional adult that you are and that you, you know, you were some of the time that you could just move and say, well, look, this isn't working out and this isn't acceptable. And, you weren't able to do that, right? Correct. So right. in that wounded child ego state, that's what you said. It's like I had to I had to believe what he said because if I didn't, it meant that I would be abandoned. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And like I've said, the only one that can abandon you if you're over the age of say seventeen or eighteen or even, you know, sixteen is yourself. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, so go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. I I felt like I was I was 35 years old and I felt like I was about 10. Mhm. Um so a 10-year-old trapped in a 35-year-old body uh many years. Mm -hmm. Uh I think uh one of the other aspects of this is that I was completely enmeshed with my mom. Um so much though, so much so that during uh, gynecological visits, I had to have her with me. This is at 35 years old. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. So there's something not quite right about that. But I, I didn't realize that that was, you know, yeah. weird anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. So I was in this this wounded child state and I thought, you know, once it did come out, and he confessed, 
I felt like I had this out of body experience too, um, which I feel like was traumatic for me. It was almost like I was lift. I was like watching the conversation happen. Uh, we were at dinner, and he confessed to um, emotionally, you know, being involved with someone. So after that, you know, that's when I first started to go to therapy and went to several therapists before I found you. And during that time, I thought, I thought it was my fault. A lot of it. I thought again, as a child state, right. right. It's like all my fault, right. For him doing what he did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I just couldn't, I still couldn't really recognize that I could, that this was happening to me <laughs> like, and, and that I made this choice to be with a person who would do that. And so I thought it was all my fault. And I had, I had a lot of jealousy too, like even before that. Um, and he, in retrospect too, he would used to say like, it's almost like you're a five-year-old. Um, I would contact him whenever I, like, if I didn't know how to get somewhere, like kind of before, actually we had GPS. Mm -hmm. Um, I would contact him and say, how do I get here? And he's like, you have GPS. Like, so I could see, I, I turn, I turn the mirror around, you know, I, I turn the, the pointed finger around and I was like, what was my role mm-hmm. in this relationship? Um, and that I chose this person. So you, so like the, the overall theme is how you choose men. Right. Based on your family legacy. Right. And it sounds like part of that was what you described the enmeshment with your mother is that she kept you as a baby. She really didn't support you growing up. She wanted you to stay little and hers, right? And so when you would go out with men, you didn't have any idea about how to choose a man who was healthy. Right. 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 And so it would be like the fantasy. Yes. Started yes. to develop. Right. And what was the fantasy? Yeah. Well, so there's this really great cartoon that I once saw um, at a codependence anonymous um, (laughs) uh, meeting or, uh, and it was, uh, there were two ducks in a lake and one of the ducks uh, was talking to another one and said, you know, this it was this great relationship and it was 10 years before I realized it was a decoy um, <laughs> duck. So that's how I felt. I felt right. like I had made this person into <clears throat> someone that I wanted them to be like the person in my mind would never cheat on me. The person in my mind would never lie to me. Um, the person in my mind actually I was looking for like someone who acted like my mom. Take care of you. Yeah. Take care Mm -hmm. of me. Exactly. And I think the other piece of it uh, was the relationship that I had with my father. I think it was so, whereas my mom was very enmeshed, 
I feel like my father was pretty absent emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was trying to fill that void too with a man. So mm-hmm. the the model that I got uh, from my father was more avoidant uh, personality. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have, you know, I consider myself a, a love addict mm-hmm. in recovery, gratefully. Um, but I would always choose avoidant men because mm-hmm. I was trying to fill that void. And he, and he had, you know, my guess would be he had an avoidant relationship with his parents, right? Yeah. And yeah. maybe you could say just a little bit about how that worked because, you know, what I've been talking about is that these family legacies continue on and on yeah. until someone like you, Jenny, <laughs> says yeah. enough. I think I'm done with this. And yeah. it's not just, well, I'm done with this. So I'll go pick somebody else that looks different, but they're really the same. Yeah. Um, that you actually have to confront those difficult issues and then make different choices. Yes. So, yeah, I, you know, a, a little bit about that like your father and his um, avoidance. Yeah. So that legacy. Yeah. So growing up, um, I was, I was very afraid of reactions from my father uh, in one of your recent podcasts, actually, you know, talking about how, well, in your book, you talk about this too, but you know, how, how trauma it's, it's not always, you know, an addiction in the family. Like I, I I didn't see an addiction of any kind in my family. Um, there was no physical abuse, you know, there, it it was more emotional. It was, and, and being in fear a lot of the time, like, uh, walking on eggshells. Um, I never knew what was going to set him off. Mm-hmm. From an anger perspective, and also that carried anger and that energy was going to me and my sister, and we turned out very differently <laughs> growing up in the same family. Um, but I, from my perspective, you know, it was it was really looking at what is this anger mine? Is this mm-hmm. shame mine? you know, and, and learning that it really wasn't, it was, and he, you know, and he carried it, my father got it passed down to him from his parents. Um, his mother in particular is, uh, from China and, um, was very, very abusive in a lot of ways. Um, so again, like you've said, they did the best they could with what they had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what got passed down is this relationship with my father that was like, you know, it was like, love me, <laughs> um, see me, you know, and I was seen in ways. I remember this time when I dislocated my shoulder, my sister was swinging me around and she happened to let go. Cause that's what kids do. And my shoulder got dislocated and I was crying. I was Um, obviously, you know, I was crying. I was in a lot of pain. And I remember being on the couch, someone laying me down on the couch at my grandparents' house. And he, I just remember him over me, like yelling at me to stop crying. And now I realize like how much fear 
he must have had. And that was the only way that he knew uh, of kind of how to deal with it. And so I grew up like thinking that, you know, my emotions, like I can't be, I can't express my emotions in a safe way. Basically, it was like be seen and not heard. Which is what, what, you know, I was talking about in terms of <clears throat> the, the trauma that a child feels is all about not feeling safe in their environment. Yeah. If children don't feel safe, they don't grow. Their brains don't make the connection. Everything kind of goes into freeze mode because they're in survival mode. Yeah. And that's, you know, what you're describing is that you felt afraid. When a child is always afraid, what you said, walking on eggshells, right? Because who walks on eggshells unless they're really afraid? Nobody, right? So yeah. you were walking on eggshells, really afraid, and feeling unsafe in your environment. And so that impaired your ability to emotionally mature. Yes. Right? And yes. then when you started to date men, it's like, there, it's like you said, you were a 25-year-old trapped, you know, you were a 10-year-old trapped inside of a 25-year-old body and then a 10-year-old trapped inside of a 30-year-old body. And yeah. and it kept going like that. And you're sitting back there wondering, why do I end up in these situations? Right, right. And, it, you know, it started early on as far as these fantasies. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like even in kindergarten, like when we, like a boy gave me this like huge, like Hershey kiss, I remember. <laughs> and I just remember like, even back then, like boys, you know, men who were interested in me, I was not interested in them. <laughs> but the ones that ignored me or <laughs> you didn't pay any attention to me, I was like, hey, I gotta have it. Yeah. 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 It was like excruciating because I built up these fantasies in my head about who they were. And then I listened to the songs and the love songs and the movies. And it was just all imprinted at an early age. And that, you know, when you have that disconnect with the parent and then you get babyfied or emotionally, uh, you know, it's like we call it emotional incest enmeshed with your mother. So you have this abandonment by father, enmeshment with your mother. So you are in this little child state. And when a man shows interest in you, it's dangerous. Why? Because you don't know how to deal with it. It's something that's foreign and unrecognizable to you. And this is as an adult too, not as a, just a child. So then when there's a man come into your life that shows great interest in you, it's like, whoa, hey, what? <laughs> How right. do I do this? So what do I do? I run the heck out of there. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do. So I leave and yeah. they're standing there going, well, hey, what's, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing, but <laughs> you're way too interested, right? Right. It's almost like what's wrong with you that yeah. you love me? Yeah, exactly. Yes. What's wrong with you that you could be with me? Right. Yeah. And and that happened over and over again. Yes. Even after you had your divorce and were dating again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I took I took a year off. Um, 
I did a lot of recovery work. I did a lot of introspection um, and the self-work, which was not easy, as you said. It is. They don't call it the road less traveled for nothing. Um, It was, Mm -hmm. I remember going to your office. I was 10 days into not speaking with my mom. And I was a wreck and I had the, I had the physical withdrawal symptoms and the emotional withdrawal symptoms and couldn't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It was real. It was real. And so even after all that, I, I, it was the the first man I dated actually after that. And when I say dated, I think we went on three dates, Mm -hmm. but in my mind, you know, I was still, it was almost like I was dating as a teenager again. So mm-hmm. like gr- in growing myself up, I was starting at the beginning. So it, it was like, I, I still felt like maybe 16 at this point. So I grew from like feeling 10 to like 16 and then I'm dating <laughs> and it's like, it, it was never, do I like them? It was always, do they like me? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like handing over like this imaginary gavel to whoever it was. And it was like, it was like, if, if my worth was the gavel, I would be giving it to these men and waiting for them to like either drop it or like, tell me what my worth is. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Here, here you go. And mm-hmm. I was willingly giving that over. Mm-hmm. And I had this epiphany after that first man And it was like after the third date, I think, and I had, you know, I told myself that I would not be sexual until around 90 days um, as, you know, you go through things with people and people present themselves in the best light, of course, it's what they're going to do in the beginning. Um, So I wanted to really get to know who a person was before taking that step. And I, so that's what I was choosing to do. And I feel like, um, he ghosted, he ghosted me like after he, I make up that it was because I wouldn't get physical with him that quickly, but I realized I was standing in my kitchen. I remember I realized I was like, Oh wait, he doesn't want to be with me because I'm not being sexual with him. I'm like, that's a good thing not a bad thing. Um, it reminds me of a quote that Kurt Cobain said a lot, but actually comes from an, a French author named Andre Guide, Giddy. Um, it is better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I, I was, to be fair, like I was presenting myself as someone who I thought they would like. So I was, I wasn't me. I wasn't authentically me either. Um, I would dress the way I thought that they would like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I wasn't myself. I was just trying to get these men who I thought were quote unattainable and who mm-hmm. I made up who they were. Which is what you did for your whole childhood with your father. Yes. You tried to be the little girl that you thought he would like. Exactly. And and if that's what you learn and that's what's familiar, then that's what you continue to do. And you did it over and over again. 
And that's an important piece because, you know, in all this talk about healing your family legacy, like, why would you go into all that? Why would you bother yourself with taking that time, attention, and energy to really, to be brave enough and courageous enough to really turn around and see what is real, right? What the facts are about your family and how it impacted you. That's why, because you could continue that over and over and over again. And even having children, they would continue it. Why? Because you would end up with somebody who wasn't available, who for whatever reason thought that this would be a good relationship. You'd build a, a big fantasy around him. He wouldn't be able to meet it. So then he would go out and start doing what he did, right? Yeah. And you'd be sitting there trying to figure out ways to keep him interested. And your children would be watching this and they would be interacting with you and him. And it would carry on in the same way. And that's why if people really want to change it, they absolutely have to understand it in the way you do, which you really do. (laughs) You understand how this worked for you. Yeah. And I think like, it also reminds me of like the root word of like familiar and family mm-hmm. are the same, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot, how if something's uncomfortable, that's when you rejoice. You've said this. Yeah. Yay! It's uncomfortable because it means something's changing. It means I'm changing the pattern. Yes. Right? And, and if it feels like, oh, you know, this is wonderful. I feel like I've known you all my life. Yeah. It's probably because you have. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, it's just, it's such, it, it is uncomfortable. And like when you, when I felt uncomfortable, again, I just, I wanted to run. And now that I'm in a healthy relationship, I try to recognize that when I'm feeling uncomfortable or, you know, I'm getting affection <laughs> without, you know, at, you know, it's forthcoming. It's having it to earn it without having to earn it. Exactly. Thank you. <clears throat> um, it feels uncomfortable and it feels weird. It's not familiar. Mm-hmm. So I have to really be diligent about <laughs> recognizing that. And in it. does it come up for you in a healthy relationship? For you to want to leave, get away? Yes, it, it came up a lot in the beginning. Um, I was trying to find ways, actually, to break mm-hmm. it off. Like, um, you know, I found out that there was, like, drinking and smoking, and I'm like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And he was actually very willing um, to stop those behaviors to be with me. And... I was like, well, that didn't work, you know, and I would try to, I would try to nitpick and find little things um, because he doesn't tease me, <laughs> you know, and he doesn't, he's emotionally present and, it, and it's like, what is going on here? Like, this is strange. This is not what I'm used to. I have to get away from it. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 So it's been, you know, it's been 18 months now and it's, it's, it feels better for sure. But I still have those moments where it's hard it's hard to say I love you. I never heard I love you from my dad growing up. Um so it feels weird for me to say it. 
Um, and, and the affection piece too. I'm not really coming with the affection piece. So I, I always have things to work on. Okay. Well, I would like to hear more about that. So why don't we pick up on the next one on the next session? How would you feel about that? Sounds good. Okay. This is Dr. Donna. And I want to remind you that if you have uh, comments or questions, you can always email me at healingyourfamilylegacy at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2021, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.